But over the last couple of weeks, if you've been here with us, we've spent time exploring Jesus's uncompromising requirements for discipleship. I'm sure if you've been here, it hasn't been easy for you to hear, as it wasn't easy for me when exploring it myself. But it was important for us to understand nonetheless. Today we continue on as Jesus stands before a crowd and shares three powerful parables in response to an accusation against him. Jesus uses this opportunity to speak into the amazing truth about God's great love for his creation and his desire to seek out and to save that which was lost. Today we'll be exploring the parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin. And then next week I'm handing the baton to Matt, who will be exploring with us arguably one of the most famous parables in the Gospels, the prodigal son. So if you have your Bibles with you today, please turn with me. We're beginning Luke 15. So we're starting to uh, tip over the halfway point of our journey through Luke. I hope you're all still enjoying it. It's been long enough so far, hasn't it? Amen. Good, so Luke 15, starting from verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees, (coughs) excuse me, and the scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbours, saying to them, Rejoice with me! For I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbours, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Heavenly Father, Lord, what joy we have to freely open your word, your truth, and to explore your wonder, your promises that are contained within. Lord, we thank you that you are here with us today, that you never leave us, wherever we may be. Lord, I pray that you open our hearts and our ears and our minds to the truth contained within these words. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. Amen. So Luke begins in verse 1 by wanting his readers to understand the important, uh, importance of the attitudes of two people groups that are present with Jesus at this time. The first group Luke introduces us to are the tax collectors and the sinners who in that culture at that time were often despised, often shunned by those within the culture and also those within the religious elite of the day. Luke is very careful in telling us that they were drawing close to Jesus as he was teaching. I hope you can get that picture in your head of them drawing close to want to hear, to not miss anything. Why were they so attracted to Jesus, we may ask? Was it that Jesus was giving them attention? Maybe. Was it that they were feeling conviction and were compelled by Jesus' words? Also, maybe. But what we know for sure is that for those who have ears to hear, which clearly these people had, God's word will always have a drawing effect and will always accomplish its purpose. Always. Does God not say this through his prophet Isaiah? That his word shall not return to him empty, but it shall accomplish that which he purposes and shall succeed in the thing for which he sent it to accomplish. God doesn't promise things just for it not to happen. Luke then goes on to introduce the second group to us, those rascals, the Pharisees and the, uh, the scribes. We've journeyed along with these, haven't we, as we've gone. Those people who were responsible or it was their responsibility to be keepers of, example, givers and teachers of God's word, God's truth to the people, but who were often blinded in their task. We shouldn't be shocked that they were there. They often were in order to keep an eye on Jesus, to watch him. And they often use these opportunities to challenge Jesus directly with questions, or as is the case in this situation, grumble about him. Grumble about him saying, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. God forbid we as a church ever grumble if we, don't, if we grumble at people coming through that door who we perceive to be sinners. God help us. This man receives sinners and he eats with them. Remember the religious hierarchy of the day who believed themselves to be godly and righteous people viewed Jesus eating with and engaging with sinners as a violation of the law. Now all that being said, I do often feel bad for the Pharisees. They were, let's be honest, they were obvious students of those who had taught them. Those who had gone before them conditioned them to criticise anyone who was at odds with the temple's teaching, which is exactly what's going on here. 
So Jesus, on hearing them, uses the parables of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin to directly challenge their grumblings. And he uses the tax collectors and the sinners that were present as the focus of the parable. And his reasonings for doing this was because of the Pharisees' continued arrogant blindness to what God was doing right in front of them through Jesus, which was in this moment, in this instance, ministering to the lost sheep of Israel who were compelled by his words and who were drawing close to him. In essence, Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, instead of standing there grumbling about me, engaging with these sinners and these tax collectors, you should be rejoicing because the ears of these sinners were being opened and they were being drawn to God's truth. Praise God. Remember, the message of salvation was the same then, pre-cross, as it is now post-cross. Genesis to Revelation all point to the cross and that amazing, incomprehensible, sacrificial act of Jesus upon the cross who paid humanity's debt as we, we heard earlier before God for our sin and our rebellion against our creator and provided the sinner and the rebel with the opportunity to receive and be clothed with the righteousness of Christ so that we can stand before God our creator in right relationship with him. And the entrance fee is really simple and it is an amazing gift. Repentance, surrender and faith in Christ. Friends, this message is still still the core message of true Christians today. This message of hope. Hope now and hope in eternity. The invitation that Jesus would give and the invitation that we give is still valid today. Come, Jesus says. Come, surrender all and follow. The invitation is still valid, but it won't always be. It won't always be. Do not miss the opportunity to accept and open that invitation. If you are on that journey, if you're questioning, if you're seeking, and you're here this morning, that's no coincidence. As we will explore in a moment, you're not here by chance. Don't leave here without either giving your life to Christ or coming and speaking to one of us to find out what is it all about. Help me to understand because I'm lost. I know there's something I'm missing and I need to know what it is. The problem with the Pharisees, as it is, uh, if we're being truthful for most or a lot of people today, 
is that instead of recognising the power of God at work in this world, the Pharisees and scribes remained in this arrogant, self-righteous, prideful attitude. The very people who were on the earth as representatives of God, of his church and uh, his truth seemed in this moment to be the furthest away from the true heart of God, caught up in the legalism of God's law. Hmm. So what are the lessons contained within these parables? Well, both have three similar characteristics. Three similar characteristics. Both speak of something being lost. Both speak of the persistence by the owner to find that which was lost. And both speak of the rejoicing on recovery of that lost item. I know the lesson Jesus is teaching here is ultimately aimed at the Pharisees and the lawyers present. There is always a timeless truth, a golden thread that can be applied throughout every generation, us included, and those who will come behind us. So what is God saying to us today in these parables? Well, firstly, something first must be lost for it to be found. Something first must be lost to be found. In both parables, something precious has been lost. We understand the coin's value. Remember the the woman who had lost her coin? We understand the coin's value because to us, we we have a similar thing and we use it to purchase those things which we need in life. And though we may not see the sheep in the same light, it also has value to the shepherd as it was part of the shepherd's livelihood. Go and ask any farmer that we're surrounded by. They will tell you their animals have value. The truth is, the more value we place on something, the more we consciously want to take care of it. And we consciously, consciously desire for it to remain safe and cared for. So it is with God. This is a very hard or sometimes very hard for some people in this world to understand but we are not creatures birthed from random chance. When cosmic stardust just happened to come together to create who we are now, just look at us. Look at the complexities of our bodies, of our minds. I mean, come on. The modern Darwinian science of evolution is a lie, but it's the very thing we teach in our schools. The truth is, we were created by a creator, designed to be these phenomenally intricate creatures that are blessed to have within our makeup the characteristics of the one true living God of the universe. That's remarkable. 
Ephesians 4.24 tells us that we were created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And we were created firstly to worship the Lord our God and in him only we shall serve as we read many months ago in Luke 4. And we are also to do the will of God. Ephesians 2.8 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should all walk in them. Every person on this planet, every person in this room is valuable and precious to God because you are his creation. Designed to worship him and be in right relationship with him. Are you here today and you have never been told that? What does your world look like? Have you, have you forever been told you're not good enough. You can't do this. You're, gonna, you're, you're, you're not going to be anything in life, which is something, unfortunately, even our, our kids at school get told. It's a lie because you are precious. You are precious. You are precious to the one true God who created you for a purpose. But just like the sheep, and just like the coin, we became lost through the cunningness of the devil and the first man, Adam's bad choice. Since then, every human has inherited a sinful nature that is at odds with their creator God, and they live separate, separated from him, living in a sinful world as our own gods quite often. Focusing on our own wants, on our own desires, and living selfish, self-seeking lives, just like the sinners of the parable probably were, or were perceived to be. Let's not be too unfair at this moment to them. Friends, everyone who has not accepted Jesus as Lord and Saviour, and is not walking as God intended in right relationship with him, are the lost sheep and the lost coin of these two parables. The tragedy is that many people don't realise that they are lost. They don't realise they're lost either through not being told, because there are still many people across this planet who still haven't heard the good news of Jesus. It could be through blindness. It could simply be just pure rebellion. They know it. They couldn't care less. That's fine. That's fine. As we've seen multiple times over the last, gosh, four months, those who are just, yeah, I know it. I hear the story. I get it. But I'm, it's all make-believe to me. It's all rubbish. Listen, they're going to have a shock one day. They're going to have a shock when they realise, oh, this is all true. But by then it will be too late. And they've got no excuse because they heard the gospel. They'll have no excuse. 
This is why the church's mission to share the gospel of grace and salvation to this world is so important. God doesn't need us to do it. He can do it, of course he can. But he wants us, because we are his created being, he wants us in partnership. He wants us to help him in this journey of sharing the good news of Jesus in this world his kingdom in this world. Before anyone who is lost can be found, they must first come to a realisation that they are lost. They don't come to a realisation they're lost. They don't need finding, do they? That is part of the journey as to what our part in this to worship God and share the good news. Worship God, share the good news. Because if they don't know, they don't know they're lost. To be lost means that you are owned. Only something that's lost, sorry, only something that that is owned can be lost. If no one owns the thing and it disappears, well, no one cares, do they? No one misses it. To be lost means that you are owned and our owner desires to seek out and find that which has been lost. What's the second thing? Number two, the diligent persistence of God. So the second attribute, characteristic we find in both of these these gospels, uh, sorry, uh, parables. In both parables, we are told of the extent to which the woman and the shepherd go to in order to locate or find their lost item. Both of them never give up searching. They never give up searching. And uh, as is mentioned in the lost coin and referred to in the lost sheep, there is a diligence to their searching. You can go out and search, but there's, there, there's searching and there's diligently searching. So what does diligent mean? It is to do something in a careful and detailed way. Careful and detailed way with a lot of effort. I don't know about you, but when we understand that the shepherd and the woman in both of these parables represent God and the sheep and the coin represent humanity, that brings me great joy and comfort to know that God is working in this world diligently. Knowing that is how much God cares for his lost children, that he would proactively seek them out in this way, it just blows my mind. Because we don't deserve it. You try and find that in other religions with other little g-gods. You'd be hard-pressed to find one of these other worshipped gods diligently seeking out. But the one true creator God, that is his heart. That helps, that is part of the separation 
between Christianity and the other religions of the world. But let's not go down that rabbit hole because I'll, I'll, I'll get on my soapbox. See, there can often be this misconception that all the onus is on us to seek Jesus out, us to seek God out. But though there is some truth to that, it is also God's heart to seek us out. That's amazing. That's amazing. And the lost being found... versus us finding is such a strong theme. It shows up almost everywhere in both of these, in both of these um, parables. Luke 5, you've got your Bibles open. Luke 5, chapter 4, what's the last couple of words that we read here? Luke 5, verse 4, the last couple of words. Uh, 15.4, sorry. Sorry, 15.4, sorry. Sorry. 15.4. He finds it. He finds it. He's not standing waiting for the sheep to come back. He goes and finds it. Luke 15.6, again, what is the last few words of Luke 15, verse 6. I have found my sheep that was lost. Now let's skip on to 15, 8. The woman searches until, what are the last few words of 15, 8? She finds it. And then skip on to 15, 9. The last few words. I have found the coin which I lost, which was lost. Doesn't this give us an incredible glimpse into the Father's heart for his children? Both those who are not yet in his fold, those who are not yet saved, but also those who may have wandered from the flock. There is hope in that. God is a father, and just like the shepherd, he rejoices that some are safely in Christ, represented here in the parable by the 99 sheep, prepared for eternity and nestled near the father's heart. But many are still missing, many are still wandering, many have slipped away, and that doesn't sit well with God. That is why God the Father sent Jesus on this incredible mission, rescue mission to the world. As Luke says in chapter 19, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. To seek and to save. Jesus speaking in John 10 says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Praise God. 
Jesus, as our good shepherd, pursues the lost sheep, calls to them, but he will allow circumstances into their lives designed to make them look up, to make them notice him and their need for him. This is one of the foundational aspects of the parable of, uh, of, of, of the prodigal son, which Matt's going to share with us next week. It is often in the bleakest of circumstances that we finally surrender our demands and our desires to have our own way and finally submit to Jesus, our good shepherd, who carries us, picks us up, puts us, puts us on his shoulders because by then we're exhausted, we're tired of fighting, of living in, in, in a world with no hope. But he picks us up, just like the shepherd, puts us on his shoulders to rest and carries us back into his flock. Praise God. And third and finally, heaven and earth rejoice. Who knows, maybe there is going to be fireworks in heaven. Who knows? Heaven and earth will rejoice. Jesus closes both these parables with the most wonderful picture of rejoicing and celebration. The shepherd and the woman invite all their friends and relatives to come and rejoice and celebrate with them that which was lost that is now found given the, us this amazing picture how God and his heavenly host, particularly his angels, rejoice as souls repent and are saved. Heaven's joy is directly connected to the repentance of God's created beings. That's us. It's way bigger than just us being here one Sunday morning and someone gives their life to Christ and we go, woo! Right? It's way bigger than that. Yeah. It's not just in, in, uh, in the earthly realms. In the spiritual realms there is rejoicing. Amazing. You see, to repent is to recognise the journeying down the path of this fallen world is destructive, often, often filled with lies and broken promises. To repent is to awaken to the truth of the gospel that we are all sinners who have been given a second chance by God through Christ. A chance, a choice to say no to the world and yes to Jesus. But friends, some people will not accept that. Some people won't accept that choice. They will choose to go their own way. And that's hard. That is hard. But it's their choice. The church that, that we came from, came from, every time we baptised someone, we, we would sing a song that was penned many years ago by, by um, uh, Hillsong. 
It's called Christ. Christ is enough. Christ is enough. And the, um, the words, or part of the words say, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back. No turning back. It's a declaration, which is why we sang it. I'm going forward with Christ and I'm putting the world behind me. We celebrated Mary's baptism last week, didn't we? Which was amazing. Amazing. And over the last year, people have come into a saving faith in Jesus, which we have helped praise God. And we've been able to celebrate with them. Celebrate with them the work that God has done in their hearts by drawing them back to him, back into his fold. But friends, this is nothing to how God and his angels celebrate when one of his created being who once was lost has been found. It's nothing compared to that. I was mulling this over and I'm like, what, what must it be like in heaven when someone gives their heart to Christ. What, what, what's the picture that you might see? Would you like to see what, what goes in in my mind? Right, let's see if this works. There they are, waiting for someone to be saved. Hey! <laughs> well, it's a bit of fun, right? Obviously, angels wouldn't have alcohol. So we just... <laughs> Just take that aspect out, okay? But that's how I picture it. Do you know what I mean? They're going about their business, you know, being the messengers and, you know, whatever God's instructed them to do. And then all of a sudden, maybe a bell rings out across heaven. Another soul is saved. And the whole place erupts. The whole place sings with joy. Just amazing. Just amazing. Thank you. Just amazing. In Zephaniah, speaking about the restoration of Israel, we read this in verse 317, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Friends, the truth is that is the same today as it was then. God himself celebrates over the repentant sinner's salvation. But what's also amazing is that Christ himself proclaims it to the angels. And Christ says this. He proclaims it to the angels, those heralds, those messengers, the helpers of humanity on God's behalf in the spiritual realm. Luke 12, 8, and I tell you, Jesus says, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. Wow. I'm trying to see. Who was baptised with us in the last year here? A 
Can't see anyone here today. So they've on the day I needed them, they've all disappeared. Oh, Sam, where's, where is Sam? Is you? Sam. Hey, Sam. Good to see you. You see, Sam, Sam, on her day of baptism, she proclaimed Christ to us that were here. She proclaimed Christ, her dedication, oops, sorry, her commitment to Christ before those of us who were here. So if we believe what Christ is saying, and we should, when Sam did that, guess what Christ did? He proclaimed. He proclaimed that to heaven's hosts, to the angels. Isn't that amazing? It's way bigger than our celebrations. Way bigger. Friends, that is how precious you are to God and how important to heaven's host you are that they would celebrate to that extent when one soul out of billions repent and surrender to Christ Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? And there are friends of ours who are already there We're witnessing this. Amazing. Amazing. Can I invite the band up, please? Church, as we close this service uh, and look to continue next week, let us carry into this week the truth and hope that to be lost means that you are owned and you are cherished. If this wasn't true, then no one would be looking for you. Well, we know that that isn't true because God is and God does. God doesn't just look for you though. He diligently and persistently looks for you, never giving up, never giving up and never backing down. It reminds me of the, the Corey Ashby song, Reckless Love. And the words in that song, he wrote, there is no shadow he won't climb up, uh, light up. There's no shadow he won't light up there's no mountain he won't climb up coming after you. There's no wall he won't kick down, no lie he won't tear down coming after you. This is our God. This is our God. And finally, let us remember that the news of a repentant soul saved is so big that God himself and his angels ring out praise and joy and gladness of heart throughout heavenly realms. Isn't that wonderful? Should we worship on that note? Amen. Thank you.